Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here today. I'd like to welcome all those in our Grovetown campus. I'd like to welcome those in our South Campus, those watching in our uh, atrium, and those uh, watching on demand and online. What a great day to be uh, here in church. What a beautiful congregation we have here. I'm telling you, it's been a good week, hasn't it? Especially if you're a Georgia fan. Who'd y'all beat? Y'all beat what? Samford. Let's go. All right. Now, some of you are scratching your head. Stanford? They played? No, it's Samford. I know about that because I'm an alumnus of Sanford University. So anyway, congratulations. I just wanted to tell you that and rub you a little bit because next week you're playing South Carolina and I probably won't say anything about it next week. <laughs> I'll be quiet. Good job. We've got to stay to the word next week. <laughs> next week, we want to stay to the word. None of this frivolous stuff here. You know, I like to start with something funny. Did you hear about the 92-year-old man that went to the doctor because he wasn't feeling well? And the doctor uh, gave him some things to help him. And a couple of days later, uh, the doctor was out in the park and saw this man. And he was doing so much better and had this young woman with him. And he walked over and said, looks like you're doing better. He said, yes, doc, I took your orders. He said, you did? He said, yeah, I went and got a hot mama and stayed uh, cheerful. He said, wait a minute. I said, you have a heart murmur, and be careful. (laughs) Be careful. Those hot mamas will get you messed up. (laughs) Didn't know where I was going with that one. (laughs) I I can't tell that joke without thinking about my my youngest son, Samuel, when he was in high school. You know, that was back in the day when this voice-to-text thing, was, the technology was just developing, so it wasn't quite as good as it is now. I left the church one day, and I was going home, and I was thinking about dinner and going by a little Caesars, and back then they had the hot and ready's for $5, and so I got my phone and said, hey, Sam, do you want a hot and ready uh, tonight for uh, uh, dinner? Do you want me to bring home a hot and ready? When he got the message, it said, hey, Sam, do you want me to bring some hot ladies home? You should never tell that to a high school kid. No, he was all in. And so I had to calm him down there. Well, over the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about a a story from the book of Mark, chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's uh, the second book of the uh, New Testament. And every time I open up uh, a story like this, I always want to try to help you to see it, maybe see it from their perspective in which Jesus was teaching, maybe for you to see it, something in the story that you've never seen before. I just always try to do that, give you something that maybe you've never looked at it this way. And as always, I want you to hear that and say, okay, God, what are you saying to me through this message? So that's just some ground uh, work just to, if you're new to Stevens Creek, what we're always trying to do is just trying to help you understand the Bible uh, in the context of where you live today. So today's story really focuses on four guys 
Uh, and I see these four guys as a small group, how they carved out time of their schedule to go help a friend of theirs. And so we pick it up, and, and this is about small groups. They carved out time, and I see this um, as uh, just speaks into our small group launch today. Because he sees small groups, I believe, can help you connect with others who share your interests as well as people who are living in similar stages of life. And so today we're focusing on that and we're looking at Mark chapter 2. Small groups at Stevens Creek, we have over 110 small groups that we're introducing today. And so there'll be across the community a lot of different groups. Some groups will meet in homes. Some will meet in restaurants, meet in, uh, online. Some are serving teams. Some are ath uh, athletic teams. Uh, there's a whole lot of small group opportunities uh, for each of us. Now, uh, after service, you can go out into the lobby there in South Augusta, maybe at a Grovetown, uh, here in the atrium. And there will be a, some tables there, and people will talk you, to you and help you get connected to that. If you don't know what to do, I'd say join us freedom group. We've got about 10 freedom groups going on. Those are great first step groups. Uh, but if you're watching online, you can uh, text the uh, groups to the number 706-222-7123. That's 706-222-7123. Now, in Mark chapter 2, we see the power of this small group. And so we pick it up in chapter 2 in verses 1 through 5. It said, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Now, Capernaum was actually Jesus' hometown at this particular time. Verse 2, so many gathered, there, so many gathered when they heard Jesus was there, uh, that there's no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of this crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this was the time in Jesus' ministry when the news of his miracle-working power started to spread throughout the community. I mean, people came from far and wide because they wanted to hear this man talk. They wanted to see him do a miracle. And as a result of that, just the crowds came and they filled up this little house. They filled up outside of the house because they were there. But not all of them were there to see a miracle or to support Jesus. There were some people there to discredit him. They were the Pharisees or the lawyers who gathered around the, uh, the circle. And I can envision them maybe with their, their arms crossed, just waiting for Jesus just to say something that they, he shouldn't say. They're just waiting for something to discredit him and try to stop his movement and his popularity in, uh, in the community. Now, the house that he was at was probably just a normal house for that time period, had one room, had a flat roof, and more than likely had a stairway going up to that roof. And so as they're listening in, these people are leaning in, trying to listen to every word. 
Imagine that. The Pharisees leaning in, listening to Jesus talk, and then they hear a noise. And they look around and say, where's that noise coming from? And they see some dirt falling from the ceiling, and they look up, and there's movement on the ceiling. And then uh, they see this beam of light coming through the ceiling. And they remove the tiles off of the ceiling, these four guys who had gone to pick up their friend. And I can imagine them looking down in there, and I can imagine Jesus looking up and seeing them. And then they start to lower their friend on his mat down uh, into Jesus' presence. All All the eyes of people in the room were there as this stretcher was coming down. And on this stretcher was this man laying there silently. And as he rested on the floor there, people could tell this man was sick. He was very ill. The Bible says he was a paralytic. He had some type of chronic paralysis, maybe a disease that is as hopeless today as it was back then. He needed help. He was desperate. And his friends, the members of his small group, these four guys carved out time out of their schedule to go over to his house to pick him up and to take him and press through the crowd and then take him onto the roof to lower him down. And when he was there, Jesus looked at him and said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, why would Jesus say that? I mean, you would think that Jesus would say, rise up and walk. Because it was evident to everyone that this guy could not walk, that this guy was desperate, that this guy needed to be healed. But Jesus knew that this man was sicker than most people realized. That he had something that was much worse than a physical ailment. That this man was lost. He was bound by sin. He was paralyzed not only in his body, but he was paralyzed in his soul. And we know how that feels. Because all of us have been there. All of us have sinned. That's the the meaning of of Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. It said, all of us have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. And so what we see is all of us have the same problem and we need the same thing. And Jesus was teaching them as he is teaching us today. That our greatest problems are not physical, but they are spiritual. Our greatest problems are not physical. Our greatest problems are spiritual. And as important as healing is, more important is forgiveness. And we all need it. I don't know what your struggle is, but I know you have one. I know you have one. We all struggle. We all have issues All of us at times are paralyzed. Maybe we're paralyzed with fear. Maybe we're paralyzed with worry. Maybe we're paralyzed with some type of illness. But we all struggle at times. I believe 
that Jesus is here today to save us, to erase our faults, to erase our sins, to bring forgiveness. Jesus is here to change your life. Jesus is here to make your life better. As Jesus came and said, your sins are forgiven you, I'll tell you, that caused a stir in the crowd, especially in the Pharisees, because the Pharisees uh, immediately said, who is he to think he is? Who can forgive sin except God? And Jesus heard that and entered into that dialogue. He responded to that, but we dropped down in verse 11, and in Jesus and, and just said, okay, I'll tell you, get up. Take up your mat and go. And this paralyzed man got up. He took up his mat. He walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like it. Now, they were all excited except that group of lawyers, that group of Pharisees. They were angry. They were mad that he would do something like this. And it's not like that they were not informed. These, were guys, these guys were some of the most educated people in the region. They were brilliant, well-read, highly educated. But the problem with the Pharisees was that they had a closed mind. That when they thought about, thought about religion, they thought about God and the Messiah and so forth, they had it all in a box. Sometimes we are like that. We think about God and Jesus and the church, and we, we have it in this little box here. And we keep Jesus in a box. But I just want you to know today that God is bigger than your box. He is bigger than you think he is. And that day, Jesus demonstrated his power. By not only forgiving this man's sins, but also healing his body. And I think about this, and I think about this miracle may have never happened if these four guys, this small group, would not have carved out time of their schedule to go over to their friend's house to put him on a mat to take him over to where Jesus was. They pushed through the crowd. They were not going to allow any of the obstacles to keep them from getting to Jesus. And they expected. They went there expecting their friend to be better, to be healed. Now, I don't know how this actually took place. But the producers of the Chosen movie imagined this story to look like this. Take a look at this. By whose authority do you teach? If you are willing, Rabbi, you know you can. By whom do you teach? Certainly not the authority of any rabbi from Nazareth. Where did you study? Your faith is beautiful. Son, your sins are forgiven. Who is this? Who speaks blasphemies? 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? But I ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk. It's easy to say anything, no? But to show you, and so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, my son, pick up your bed and go home. Jesus using the power of a small group. I think about this story. I just see that, how those four guys went to pick up their friend, and it challenges me. It really challenges me. Am I going to make room in my schedule for people who are hurting, for people who are going through a difficulty, for people who are struggling? The power of a small group. Recently, I heard about four ladies in a small group, uh, a Stevens Creek group, that they started the year off, and all of them had uh, been through or uh, had friends that had gone through infertility or a miscarriage, so they started their year off praying. And these four ladies uh, got together, prayed that they would be pregnant by the end of the year. And so week after week, as they gathered for small group, they prayed, and they said, God... Uh, give us babies. But Lord, let this be in your time. We surrender our lives to you. Do you know that by the end of that year, uh, all four of them in that small group were pregnant? Here's a picture of them about a year after the four of them started praying. Now, Lacey, the second one on the left, right, said, I know that my God is big and I know that he answers prayer. Yet I am overwhelmed by his love as I look into the perfect faces of these four answered prayers. Amen. That group reminds me the importance of connection. It reminds me the importance of friends and that we are friends and that we are family and we are people who need each other. You'll never really discover purpose and meaning in your life if you're living life by yourself and for yourself. Life is about others. Life is about being connected with friends and family members. Life is about being connected in church. And I'll tell you, we've come through a very difficult season in our nation's history with the pandemic. And we've seen what it's done through our, the lockdowns. And I wonder when the history books are written 20, 30, 50 years down the road, and they're looking back at the season we've just come through. 
I wonder if they will see that the greatest, that the lockdowns and the isolation of people caused as many problems or even more than the virus itself. You know, there's something about that. You know, we need, there's a desperate need for connection and community. Because the bottom line is the Christian life is not just a matter of believing, but it is a matter of belonging. It's about belonging to something, being a part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves. You know, the Bible has a word for that, to be belonging to that. And and the Bible calls it membership. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, it says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people, and you are members of God's family. You're members. God wants you to be a part of his family. Some people say, oh, Marty, I'm a Christian, but I don't belong to a church. You know, I hear that, and I say, that just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense to me. It's like saying, I'm a football player, but I don't want to be on the team. It's like saying, I'm a tuba player, but I don't want to be in the band. I'm telling you, a tuba player on his own is pretty weird. And you need other people. God has called you and meant for you to be in relationship, in community, in uh, part of a family. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 5, it said, So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the other. So we're members together. We're created for this community. We need each other. We need to be friends and family members You see, friendship is built on on sharing your life with others. And I believe that if you want friends, you've got to make time for your friends. In our story today, those four guys made time for their friends, for their, their friend. And I think one of the first lessons that a parent teaches a small child is uh, the importance of playing together and the importance of sharing with one another. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 44, it says, All the believers met together constantly, and they shared everything with each other. There's something about powerful about meeting together. There's something powerful. I know that God is with you, and God will go before you, and that you can be at home and sense his presence. That's real. But there's something powerful about coming together in a corporate body where you see faith magnified. And you see worship brings people from all different walks of life into one heart and one spirit. And so there's something about meeting together. But when we think about meeting together, meeting together in corporate worship is very important but we're not going to grow deep in relationships unless we form some type of friendships or some type of fellowship. The Bible says we meet together, but we also share with one another. What do we share? We share experiences together. 
We share experiences. You know, uh, it has been said that experience is the best teacher, but what I've learned through the years is it doesn't have to be my experiences. I can learn from your experiences. I can learn from experiences of other people. When Patty and I were in our 20s, and we were just into the parenting season, and we're trying to figure this thing out. We would look at somebody, a couple that's about 10 years older than us, that would have uh, solid um, kids, and we would say, okay, what are they doing to raise these middle schoolers, high schoolers? We're trying to learn from them so we can learn from their experiences. And so that's the power of meeting together, that we share, we share experiences, we share uh, our homes together. First uh, Peter says, cheerfully share your home with those who are, uh, need a meal or a place to stay. You can, you can only truly fellowship in the context of a smaller group. I know you hear us talk about church growth a lot. And we want to grow the church. And yes, we have a campus in Grovetown. And yes, we have a campus um, in South Augusta. And yes, we have a Dream Center experience. But one day we'll be in Aiken. And one day we'll be beyond that. And we talk about growing the church. But I'm telling you, we must grow larger but smaller at the same time. We've got to grow smaller where you are connected with people. That you're part of a family together. Because you see, when we are connected with each other, we share experiences, we share homes, we share our problems. Do you know that when you have a problem and you bring it to your group, that, uh, that it's like that problem's cut in half? Because they bear that burden. Or when you have a joy, it's like it's doubled. The Bible says you weep with those that weep and you rejoice with those that rejoice. And so we see in the context of small groups that we see this sense of encouragement come on us. Here's the next thing. God's plan encourages partnership. And we all must do our part. And when we think about partnership, I'm saying that God needs you to be a part of his church. It's like being a part of a family. We all have a contribution to make. That God brought you here to serve. We are a volunteer intensive organization. And many of you will find your small group connection on a serving team. And you may be serving at the Dream Center, or you may be serving on the tech team. You may be serving in administrative roles that, that you use the gifts that you have been given to serve Christ and his church, because each one of us have a part to play. You know, in every family, there are family responsibilities. You divide up the chores, and everybody does their part. You know, tonight, okay, tonight is the night that the trash can goes out to the road. Now, let me say this. Patty's not going to be taking the trash out to the, tr the road to, because that's not her job. Now, she may remind me as we're getting in bed tonight, did you take the trash can out there? Can I do it first thing in the morning? No. But so each one of us, we have these responsibilities in our home in the same way in God's family, in God's church. This is his plan. In Ephesians chapter 4 and 16, it says, uh, From him the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows. It grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 
And so when we think about small groups, I want you to think broader. Yes, some groups are Bible-based groups. You study the Bible verse by verse. Other groups are going to be uh, with marriage or uh, maybe it's um, uh, a freedom group or maybe it's a sports team, another type of activity. But just find that place for connection. Here's the fourth and final one. God welcomes you into his family. And so we should love one another as he loves us. God has placed us here because he loves you. God loves you and he has a plan for your life. And he wants you to be a part of his family so that you can understand that. Now, it's interesting. When we first started the church 35 years ago, and we'll talk about this more in the days ahead. But our small group system then, we were called kinship groups. We call them Uh, small groups now because I'd rather be clear than cool. But back in the day, we thought kinship groups were uh, were something. And maybe it wasn't cool, but it was just country. Because maybe I grew up on watching Beverly Hillbillies and they had kinfolks or the Dukes of Hazzard or something like that. But you think about this called kinship thing. And the kinship really had this idea behind it. Kinship literally means your closest relationships. It means your closest family. When somebody has an accident, what do they say? We need to notify the next of kin. They want to find that person who is closest to the individual who has had the accident. We want to notify the next of kin. They want to find that person that matters most. The Bible says that's the kind of attitude that we should have when we approach people in God's family, that we should love them. In fact, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says they spent their time learning from the apostles and they were like family to each other. They were like family. They took care of one another. So I just want you to think about that because just maybe God is going to be prompting you to take your next step of faith. And maybe after that it's going to prompt you to get a connected to a small group. I go back to this story in Mark chapter 2. Four guys, they made time for their paralyzed friend. They made time. I think so many people are lonely in America because they do not make time for relationships. It's like we're so busy building our lives and building our dreams and, and going to this place and that place that we don't take time to make relationships. I don't want that to be said of us. I want this to be a place where we understand how to love one another. And we say it all the time. What's Stevens Creek about? We're going to love God and we're going to love people and we're going to serve the world. It's about love when it's all, uh, when it's boiled down to that. It's all about love. And we look back at this story as we wrap it up today. And these four guys brought this paralyzed man to Jesus. And Jesus looked at this man. And said, your sins are forgiven. And in that moment, he was saying, I see you have problems. But your greatest problems are not physical problems. Your biggest problem is a spiritual problem. Could it be 
that that's what Jesus would say to you today too. That your greatest problem is not what you think it is. It's not that situation at work. It's not that crisis at home. It's not even that sickness that you're going to treatments with. But your greatest problem is something deeper. Deeper in your soul. I love it when we read uh, stories like that because I believe these stories were written, yes, and they happened 2,000 years ago. But they have such a contemporary message to us. And I always like to put myself in that story. What is this saying? And this early story could be saying uh, different things to different people. There are some of you today, and some of you in our Grovetown campus and our South campus, that very clearly you're hearing Jesus tug at your heart because you have lived apart from him your entire life. And he has you in this auditorium today because he loves you and he has a plan for your life and he wants you to come, to come home. He wants you to be a part of his family. And you say, how does that happen? Well, he's already invited you. All you have to do is accept his invitation. What's kept you away from that is that your choice is your sins. And I realize some of you have been working hard to do good works, to, to make good on all those bad things you've done. Look, you can never do enough good deeds to outweigh the bad you've done, and I can't either. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came and gave his life on the cross. And in essence, his sacrifice paid for your sins and my sins uh, to be wiped away. And so what we have to do is we say, Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. That's what he said to that, that paralyzed. He said, your sins are forgiven. Have you been forgiven? Have you been saved? Today is your day. You don't have to carry this guilt or shame or, or, or this along anymore. You can have a new life. So many times we talk about turning over a new leaf. I am talking about it's more than that. It's having a new life. Now, some of you, you see yourself as the man in that, on that stretcher because you are paralyzed. And this may not be a physical paralysis, and it may be, but you see yourself on that stretcher because you have been paralyzed by anxiety. You've been paralyzed by worry. You've been paralyzed by fear to the point of that fear has kept you back and held you from really your best life and becoming the person that you were created to be. You're fearful that you're going to make a mistake. You're fearful you're going to be found out. You're fear that something bad may happen to you out there, so you never go out there. You never take that risk because you're holding back because fear has its hands on you. But hear me and hear the words of the Bible 
that God has not given you a spirit of fear. God has given you a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. Love, power, and a sound mind. So today we're going to pray that that fear is going to be broken. Here's the third group of people that this story could be speaking to today. Is that you're like the small group folks. You're the four guys. And that during this message, you've thought about somebody. That is God putting that person on your mind. And so, therefore, uh, he wants you to go and connect with that person. Check on them. Just show up. And look, you're going to have a busy day, and some of you are headed to lunch right now, and you're going to forget that prompting. But tomorrow morning when you wake up, that same picture is going to come back to your mind. And you're going to be busy tomorrow, and you're going to put it to the side uh, and not think about it until Tuesday afternoon on the way home. That's going to come back to your mind. And that's the third time, and you need to send that text. You need to show up at their doorstep. You need to be there. Because you are a part of that small group that's going to help that person find the freedom that they need. Okay? So in our Grovetown campus, South Campus, and here, let's all stand together. And I want to pray over you today. And I'm believing that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come and rest on you. And God's Spirit is going to direct you. And there will be some of you that for the first time in your life, you have come in the presence of God. You've run from it. You've pushed Him away. But today is that day. So I just want you just to be open to that. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And then I'm going to pray for those also to be healed and set free. You ready? Let's bow our heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over our congregation. I pray over those watching online. And the verse prayer I pray is just like Jesus prayed in this story. It's a prayer of forgiveness. And so if you've never prayed a prayer of forgiveness, pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Say that. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Say this. Say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person that you would have me to be. I give you my life. I give you my past, and I trust you with my future. Fill me with your presence. Save me today. And so just pray that. Say, save me today. Now, Father, I pray for that second group today. That second group of people that uh, they've been paralyzed, maybe with a physical ailment, maybe with an emotional ailment, but whatever it is, God, whether it's fear, anxiety, whether it's sickness, whether it's some type of ongoing disease, I pray in the name of Jesus, as you spoke to the man that was paralyzed that day to be healed, I pray, God, that your healing power would flow over our congregation. And so I would say to you, just receive what God has for you today. 
Say, God, I receive your strength. I receive your healing. I receive your peace. Now, Father, I ask that you would stir up your gifts in this church. And, Lord, help us to help others. And help us to be a light in our community. And help us bring people to you. We pray these prayers in Jesus' name. And everybody said in a loud voice, amen, amen, and amen. Let's give him praise today. Thanks so much for being here. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.